Shortcast Club. Hi, I'm Avi, founder of Shortcast Club. Each week, we highlight some of our favorite episodes on Shortcast Club. If you like variety, this is the podcast for you. First up today, a newcomer to our platform, Dr. Wes Ely, who is a professor at Vanderbilt, an ICU physician, a researcher, and founder and co-director of the Critical Illness, Brain Dysfunction, and Survivorship Center. His podcast is Dr. Wes Ely's Medical Updates. In this three-minute episode, he explains what is the pause, a ritual when a patient dies. In the modern, science-driven world, it's easy to forget about the hazard of moral injury and how to prepare ourselves for that. Hey friends, Dr. Wes Ely here, and I want to talk about something fairly serious, death in the hospital setting, and how should medical professionals handle themselves and the circumstances when somebody's just died under their care in the hospital room. And something very intense happened this week with our team. I'll tell you the story here in a second. But what I'm going to introduce to you, anybody in the medical professional or families who want this to happen for their loved ones, is what's called the pause. And you can find this on the web at thepause.me, just the words thepause.me. So a man under my care, under our team's care this week, died, and it was a, a hard, unexpected death. Afterwards, we were all sitting there, kind of our heads spinning about what had just happened, and the fellow in the room said, I want to call for a pause, and out of respect for this person, we would like to have a moment of silence. We'd like to gather around his bed, and this was a person, she said, who was alive, who had family, who, who we know outside the room, who had loves who is now gone from our from our world and out of respect for this person let's have a silent pause we we put our hands on the patient's arms and legs we all quietly possessed that moment for all that it was worth and could be for all of us lifting this person up in dignity and in self-worth and each person in the room brought what they wanted to bring to that moment this pause we sat there quiet and quiet for like 30 seconds and this is for the patient to respect their dignity, to lift them up. It's for myself as a physician who's processing the pain of maybe I feel like I, I failed this person, maybe I've made a mistake in some medical decisions, or maybe none of that's the truth. And I am just so affected by the fact that a human being is now dead who I was talking with, trying to help make plans for his future, and so on and so forth. This is done sometimes in the medical setting right before organ donation at the time of transplantation. It's also done for recipients at the time that they know they're getting organs from somebody who has died. Um, there's lots of ways that this could lift us up as human beings, help us heal, help us process pain. Uh, during COVID, we didn't do this enough. We needed to do this more. And instead, what happened was a lot of people felt moral injury and left the field of medicine because over time we just got beaten up and developed PTSD and depression. And so I'm taking time today to make a, a video for you about this idea of the pause. I wonder what your thoughts are. Please share them. I wonder if you might want to go to thepause.me and read about this. And it's something that I think shouldn't be mandatory for people. They should be able to opt out of this. But it shouldn't be a time for religious proselytization. No way. This is about being quiet, lifting people up, respecting the humanity of the person there, and each person making it what it should be for them to respect this person who died 
and to bring healing to yourself and the medical team as well. Thanks for listening today. I hope this was at all helpful. And again, uh, stay safe out there and take care of each other. It's reassuring to me to know that even after facing death countless times, our medical professionals remain very human and care so much for each patient. Next, a one-minute episode from a different kind of doctor. Dr. Ben Crosby is a professor of communication. In this episode of his podcast, Trivium U, Timeless Training for Professional Communicators, Dr. Crosby shares the best advice he ever received on using humor in a professional environment. Here's the best advice I ever got on using humor in a professional environment. Don't tell jokes. Be witty, be humorous, but don't tell jokes. What does that mean? A joke is something that has a setup and a punchline. And usually when there's a punchline, it comes at someone else's expense. Second, sometimes jokes fall flat. And when there's a setup and a punchline's coming, there's a lot of expectation on the part of the audience. They're expecting to laugh. And so if that joke falls flat, you look like a fool. Leave joking to the professional comedians, to the stand-up comics. Your job is not to tell jokes. You do want to bring in wit and humor. What does that mean? That means telling some self-deprecating stories from time to time, sharing a funny meme that's not offensive once in a while, and using your extemporaneous brain to offer a funny quip when one occurs to you. But don't tell jokes. They almost never work. You are a professional who has wit, not a clown who's applying for a job. Okay, so two doctors walk into a podcast. Just kidding. Third on our list today, what is a waste audit? Stacy Savage gives us a 30-second explanation in this episode of Talkin' Trash. Stacy, aka the Texas Trash Talker, is a zero-waste expert who helps businesses reduce waste. Do you know what a waste audit is? This is where we pull bags and bags of trash and recyclable and food waste compostable material. We sort through it all. We find the cross-contamination. What I mean by that is our recyclables ending up in your landfill trash or your composting. Is food waste ending up in your recyclables? It's contaminating the materials like plastics, glass, metals, and cardboard. Once we have everything sorted, we can figure out, based on calculations, what could have been recycled and what was mismanaged Fourth up, Joshua Terhune, a therapist, announces that we're no longer using the term coping skills. He offers seven alternative phrases instead. Welcome back to school, guys, gals, non-binary pals. First order of business, the term coping skills, it's out of here. We are replacing it. Here are my top seven suggestions to replace the term coping skills. At number seven, we have pro tips and if it comes from a therapist, then it technically is a pro tip because it came from a professional. At number six, we have dopamine. You see, this is this is stiff competition this year. There was lots of great entries. Dopamine doesn't totally fit, but I, I love the play on words. It's a pun from dopamine. At number five is Jedi mind tricks. Sometimes it feels like you have mind control and so you when you use some of these skills because they can be super helpful. At number four, we have level ups. This is a term that comes from a lot of video games and Zoomers seem to love it. At three, we have life hacks. 
Life hacks is becoming a classic. It's tried and true. Everyone knows what you mean when you're doing a life hack. So this is this could really dovetail into it. At two, we have cheat codes. I really love this one, but there's one more that really just seemed to take the cake. And at number one, we have the big reveal. Drum roll, please. Vibe modifier. Vibe check also works well, but that is just mwah. So those are my nominations to change the term coping skills. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you have any suggestions or which one you're going to choose. Here's a pro tip. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And now a pro tip from Tammy Amet in this one minute episode of Therapy Beyond the Couch. Tammy explains a quick brain hack for when you are dealing with a transition. There's a reason why moving to a new home, starting a new job or a new relationship can be difficult for us. And it's not what you think. If you're new here, I'm a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, and EMDR practitioner, and I help people remove the blocks that are getting in the way of their mental, emotional, and spiritual development. The reason these transitions can be so difficult for us is because we know what we're losing, but we don't yet know what we're gaining. We might know intellectually what we're gaining, but we certainly have a lived experience of what we're losing. It really comes down to this human experience of disliking or, in fact, interpreting as unsafe that which we do not know. All the stuff in the unknown, as humans, we find that unnerving. That's why transitions, even positive ones, can be difficult. Because we know what we're losing. We've lived it. We have a lived experience of it. We have a reference for it. But we don't yet have that reference for what we're gaining. Here's a quick tip if you're in the middle of a transition. Make a list of all the things that you do know about the new thing. Maybe it's a new job. So who's going to be your boss? Where are you going to be working? Even if it seems obvious, it's going to help your brain interpret it as safe. Speaking of transitions, let's try a change up. Kate Meniscalco delivers an impassioned, high-energy pitch on the history-making potential of this season in Major League Baseball and why you don't want to miss it. Kate, give me one reason why I should watch Major League Baseball. What if I gave you multiple? Do you want to wake up when you're 75 and think that you missed the best player in Major League Baseball because you didn't understand it? Trust me, you don't. If you want to watch history being made, just turn on the Angels and watch Shohei Otani because he is doing the unimaginable as both a hitter and a pitcher. The postseason, more specifically, the Baltimore Orioles. Do you want to know the last time the Baltimore Orioles made the World Series? 1983, 40 years ago. And if people go, oh, you really think the Orioles are gonna make the World Series? Uh, I do. Do you want to know why? They're first in the hardest division in Major League Baseball, which is the AL East. Sticking with the postseason, the Seattle Mariners are the only team in Major League Baseball that have not been to the World Series yet. And they have a shot to make the wild card, which ultimately can lead them to the World Series. And if you say, oh, you really think you can make the World Series from the wild card? Guess who did it last year? The 2022 Phillies made the wild card, won, and went on a run to the World Series. Just think about sitting with your kids one day and going, wow, you were alive when Luis arrived at 400 and you don't even know what that means. Man is hitting 370. Do you know how hard that is to do? There was a huge debate to see if he could hit 400. The last person knew that was Ted Williams in 1941. I don't know if he's gonna get there, but just watching him maybe chase that is going to be really interesting. Follow me for MLB content and we can watch history together. I know Kate is a Yankees fan, and she may not like this, but I feel I should disclose, we're a solid Red Sox household. Seventh on our list, Tyson Muttrux, an injury attorney in Missouri, 
answers a question about those keep back, don't overtake stickers you sometimes see on the back of trucks in this 30-second episode. We have this question about those stickers on the back of vehicles that say don't overtake or don't drive too close. Whether or not those prevent you from pursuing a personal injury case, and no, those stickers don't mean jack. Those stickers that say don't fall too close and a rock hits your car, I don't care. You still have a case against those vehicles. If you are overtaking a vehicle and they do something negligent, let's say they swerve over because they're mad because you're overtaking them, you've got a case against them. Just because there's a sticker on the back of that vehicle does not automatically preclude you from pursuing a case against them. So don't fall for that one. In Boston, those stickers wouldn't work anyway. I saw a meme that could describe driving here. It said, someone just gave me half a peace sign. Weird. Eighth today, an episode of Ariella Elm's podcast, If We Want to Change the World. Ariella shares her excitement about the actor Wayne Brady coming out as pansexual and the parts of Wayne's announcement that resonated for her. Super exciting news in the queer world. Wayne Brady came out as pansexual today. My posts aren't doing super well right now, so I'm not going to read the full article, but I do want to read three sections. I'm pan. In doing my research, both with myself and just with the world, I couldn't say if I was bi because I had to really see what that was, especially because I really haven't gotten a chance to act on anything. So I came to pan because I know that I'm completely messing up the dictionary meaning, but to me, pan means being able to be attracted to anyone who identifies as straight, gay, bi, trans, or non-binary. Being able to be attracted across the board, and also, at least for me right now, that is the proper place. I took pan to mean not only I can be attracted to any of these people or types physically, but I could be attracted to the person that is there. I think you got the dictionary definition spot on, Wayne. I've been attracted to men at times in my life, but I've never dated a man. Let's be really honest. I've also been attracted to certain men in my life, but I've always pushed that aside because of how I was raised and because I live in today's world and that's scary as shit. What's the fastest way to hurt another man? I'm going to call you out of your name. I'm going to call you gay. I'm going to emasculate you. I'm going to use the F word. I learned that very early from the people around me. They're like, oh, so these are bad things? Yeah, you don't want to be that. So what does it mean if I feel something? I don't think I'm gay, but what if I feel something for another man? That's still gay. I was already bullied with a bunch of other shit. I didn't want to add a top hat on top of that suit. A shame cake, just eating it every single day and then worried about people finding out. I've always had a wonderful community of friends who are in the LGBTQ plus community. People I've grown up with in shows, gays and lesbians, and later in life, my trans relatives and my niece. I've always had that community, but I've always felt like a sham because I wasn't being forthcoming with myself. I could speak out about black issues because I can't hide that. And you can play at being an ally until the day that you truly say this is who I am and I want to stand next to you. That's not, I always wanted that day to come. This is lovely and wonderful and amazing. It's also another name to add to the list when they cast a straight actor to play a queer character. And we always say, but you could have cast. And now we can say, but you could have cast Wayne Brady. And instead you chose this person. That's very exciting to me. Welcome to the community, Wayne Brady. We are happy to have you. Next up, we hear from Sumana Jetty in her podcast, Evidence-Based Workplace Wellness. She opens with, all workplaces need a post-vacation reintegration strategy. Say that 10 times fast. Let's hear from Sumana on what that means. 
All workplaces need a post-vacation reintegration strategy, and you're right, most of them have no idea what this means. There's a lot of anxiety that comes on the days leading up to returning to work and on the day, the first day back of work. You obviously have a lot of happy emotions, but a lot of us also feel a lot of anxious emotions that come with returning back to work after taking even a long weekend off from work. Lots of work, lots of emails, organizing tasks, lack of concentration, little knowledge of what happened when you were away from work. Here's a really simple post-vacation reintegration strategy that all managers in any workplace can use. Have a debrief, bring them up to speed and up to date about everything that happened while they were away. It's gonna improve trust, motivation, commitment, and performance. Another strategy to facilitate readjustment. Managers assign a less complicated task in the first two to three days when employees return to work after vacation. You want healthy, sustainable employees. The last thing you wanna do is to give them something super complicated, a time-sensitive request, then they're done that on the first day when they return back to work after taking a vacation. These strategies are not hard. Any manager, any workplace can adopt them for employee wellness and for sustainability. When are you going to try it? Put it in the comment. Cheers. Tenth, let's hear from Janelle Romero, a New York City labor and employment lawyer, on what's the story with the Lizzo lawsuit. For background info, Lizzo is a rapper, singer, songwriter, actress, and musician. She was the Time Magazine's 2019 Entertainer of the Year. Recently, three former backup dancers filed a lawsuit against Lizzo and her production company. Janelle helps break it down for us and provides some professional perspective. I feel bad for Lizzo. I read that 44-page complaint, and the way the headlines don't match the story is too much. I'm a discrimination attorney, and I file these cases all the time here in New York City. People are speculating what they think actually happened. You don't have to do that. It's literally written in the allegations. Let's talk about them. The plaintiffs are three professional dancers who were first introduced to Lizzo when they were contestants on Lizzo's show on Amazon Prime, um, like competing to be her backup dancers. One of the biggest things Lizzo's being attacked for on the internet is fat shaming. Let's read what the plaintiffs themselves said actually happened in their complaint. On or about April 21st, 2023, Miss Davis was called into a private meeting with Lizzo and the choreographer. Lizzo and the choreographer questioned whether Miss Davis was struggling with something as she seemed less committed to her role on the dance cast. Lizzo and the choreographer pressed Miss Davis for an explanation as to why she seemed less bubbly and vivacious than she did prior to the tour starting. In professional dance, a dancer's weight gain is often seen as that dancer getting lazy or worse off as a performer. Lizzo and the choreographer's questions about Mrs. Davis's commitment to the tour were thinly veiled concerns about Miss Davis's weight gain, which Lizzo had previously called attention to after noticing it at a music festival. Although Lizzo and the choreographer never explicitly stated it, these questions accompanied by Lizzo's statements made after the South by Southwest Music Festival gave Miss Davis the impression that she needed to explain her weight gain and disclose intimate personal details about her life in order to keep her job. What were the comments made at the South by Southwest Music Festival? We don't know because for some reason they forgot to put them in the complaint. Ms. Davis shared that she had been struggling with anxiety and depression and has been diagnosed with binge eating disorder. Ms. Davis explained her diagnosis and struggles but made it clear that in spite of her mental health struggles, she was still committed to the tour and performing to the top of her capabilities. In response, Lizzo and the choreographer dismissively offered Ms. Davis time off of rehearsals to attend therapy. This offer seemed strange to Ms. Davis and made her feel like if she accepted time off, Lizzo and the company would see her as too weak to continue as a member of the dance 
passed. Accordingly, Ms. Davis declined, thinking it was the only way that she could keep her job. What's being alleged here is not necessarily uh, weight discrimination. It is actually disability discrimination because they're saying that her weight is tied to her binge eating disorder, her anxiety, and her depression diagnosis. You need to read past the headlines. Not everything is so black and white, guys. Is it possible that Lizzo was calling this girl out on her weight? Yeah. Is it possible that Lizzo just noticed that this girl was down because she had anxiety and depression, so she called her out on being less bubbly and vivacious and the girl took it personally as an attack on her weight? Also, yeah. We don't know and we don't need to be attacking somebody we don't know over allegations that we don't understand and weren't there for. There's nine uh, claims in this complaint. This is just one of them. I can go through the rest in another video if you want me to, but this is already long enough. To wrap it up, we have a bonus 11th segment this week to send you out on a positive note. Samantha Chung serves us a perspective shift on problem solving. This is from her inspiring shortcast, Simplifying Sam, the shortcast. Okay, so you can't solve a problem from the frequency of the problem. What does that mean? For as long as you believe that something is a problem, any attempt to solve that problem will actually make the problem bigger. And a lot of that is because the solution finding process legitimizes the problem in the first place. The best example I can think to describe this is thinking that you are ugly or unattractive. Believing that this is a problem will have you seeking solutions outside of yourself, such as changing your body, working out, putting on makeup, buying new clothes or shoes. All of these things do not actually fix the problem, which is internalized low self-worth. These attempts only continue to legitimize that you think it's a problem that you are ugly. Solving this problem is actually a means to an end because you will have to continue to maintain these external solutions they keep the problem in place. They continue to perpetuate the problem. Now, what would actually solve the problem would be to actually question your socialization, wonder what ugly even means, wonder where the idea of attractiveness even comes from, and dissolve the paradigm of beauty and what it means about your self-worth altogether. So then from this perspective, solving the problem is actually not finding a solution to the problem, but dissolving the problem. True peace is not going to come from putting on your makeup or wearing new clothes or having new things. It will come from the realization that you never needed those things. And so this is not to demean using makeup, which I have today. That can all be done, but this is not coming from a low self-worth place. This is coming from a creative, playful place. I don't have to do this every day to feel okay about myself. And if you watch a lot of videos that I post, I look very different in all of them. Sometimes I have makeup, sometimes I don't. I don't take any of these actions to solve a problem. Another example would be having an addiction to, let's say, drugs. To solve the problem of my addiction, I wouldn't actually reach for more drugs. That would just expand the original problem. What I would need to do is actually heal the addiction from the inside out so that I no longer reach for those things. Now, coming from someone who works with a lot of healers, I talk about healing a lot. I think that's very important. But we have to be very careful that we do not get stuck on a healing trap. A lot of people think that they need to solve their unworthiness problem, but once again, you can't solve a problem from the frequency of that problem itself. Believing that worthiness or unworthiness exists will keep us on a wheel of trying to secure it. The only way to actually dismantle and solve this problem is to dissolve the concept of worthiness altogether. There is no worthiness to achieve. There is no unworthiness to escape from, much like there is no beauty to be achieved. Beauty and worth are to be realized through the dissolution of the beliefs that keep us from them. I hope you enjoy this taste of some of my favorites from this past week. If you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. 
We really appreciate your support as we grow the show. If you'd like to learn more about any of the creators we heard from today, check the show notes for links to their websites, and please follow their shows as well. Thanks, and happy listening.